Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Season 2 of the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. Welcome to those who are here for the first time, and a hearty welcome back to the LCP faithful. What we do here is look at what the mainstream media feels is important to tell us about current events, politics, science, religion, and just about anything else, but we're not interested in their spin. We want to look at these stories logically, and we especially want to look at these stories as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you'd like to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. What we're about to embark on has only been done three other times in the entire storied history of the Logical Christian Podcast. Frankly, I don't know if you like it when this happens, but nobody has ever specifically complained, so here we go again. Today's podcast episode will be a single topic. The three other times I've done this were the Easter special back in episode 26, a discussion on abortion in episode 32, and a history of Thanksgiving in episode 80. Today's episode is, I feel, as important of a topic as those three, especially in the global climate we find ourselves in. In about a month, it will be 79 years since the liberation of the Auschwitz Nazi concentration camp. We are currently just over 78 years since the end of World War II. We are also just over 22 years since the cowardly terrorist attacks of 9-11. In both cases, Americans vowed to never forget. We seem to have forgotten. On today's episode, we're going to address a current trending story on social media that flared up a few weeks ago, is trying to be snuffed out, and will likely disappear again quickly. But the ignorance it has revealed is shocking. We're going to tackle that ignorance head on. Now, this is a longer episode, especially for a single topic. There's a lot of information packed in here, so take it slowly. Sadly, what many of us take for granted as indisputable fact is being questioned by primarily younger generations, and the consequences could be disastrous. We need to be able to speak confidently and boldly about what is true and what is false. So gird up your loins, pretend to know what that means, head up, shoulders squared, because here we go. The United States, Canada, and much of what's considered the Western world are in a process of willing and selective amnesia. We aren't supposed to talk about certain things in the past because they make people feel bad. Things like slavery or racism. The before times where being straight was normal and being not straight was not normal. We don't talk about Columbus discovering America, more or less, because he was mean. We don't talk about the pilgrims or the founders because they were probably transphobes or something. I don't know. Who knows? Pick something, I guess. We don't want to talk about women because we don't know what they are anyway. And for those that aren't women, that claim to be women, they don't talk about real women because despite the XY chromosomes and the penis, these guys are positive they're women and not those filthy, selfish womb-havers. We don't want to talk about the Bible because, I mean, ew. We don't want to talk about wars. In fact, all we're supposed to talk about is now. And, and now. And now. Not the last now. That was so 10 seconds ago. Now is the only thing that matters. The problem with only talking about now, only caring about right now, is that there's no logic, no reason, no reflection, no lessons learned from the past, no planning for the future. There's nothing but emotion, action, and reaction. Even more, we run into the problem of the oft-repeated saying, those who forget history are condemned to repeat it. A couple months ago already, believe it or not, Muslim animals, Hamas terrorists, flooded into Israel and committed... Just horrible crimes against men, women, and children. If you think that's a lie, or that it was done by Israel to itself, or it's all just AI, you're wrong. Grow up, wake up, educate yourself, and until then, with all due respect, shut up. You sound like an idiot. 
I've only heard stories from some that either observed the atrocities firsthand or from those that saw uncut video, and even those I'm not going to repeat here. This was not war. This was murder. And more accurately, it was a terroristic step toward genocide of the Jewish people. Again. And now we have Muslim terrorists, Muslim sympathizers, the so-called Palestinians, which aren't really a thing since there isn't now, nor has there ever been a nation of Palestine, Jew haters and Nazis that are desperately wanting the Jews to cease to exist. These hateful demonic murderers are horrible human beings who have relinquished their right to freedom, or in some or many cases the right to remain on this earth, but they're not the surprising ones. Those people have always been there. They'll always be there. They're a known quantity. They flare up, the Israelis smack them down, and the cycle continues. I know, it's not as casual as what I'm trying to make it sound, but it is what it is, and everyone knows it. What's very concerning right now is the meat-headed, mouth-breathing, device-dependent, primarily, but not entirely, younger generations that are out there marching for the Palestinians to have their freedom, you know, from the river to the sea, with most of them having no idea that that means the total destruction of the Jews, and many of them not caring about, or maybe even in fact desiring, the total destruction of the Jews. It's kids in high schools protesting teachers daring to speak in defense of the Jewish people without having a clue who Hamas or what terrorism really is, nor that the little girls would be used as either breeding stock or sex toys to just be passed around, you know, use and abuse and eventually kill, or that the boys would be placed into military service, conscripted to give their life in the name of Allah if and when necessary. It's the homosexuals and so-called transgenders, which also don't really exist either, as you can't actually transition a gender, siding with and in fact wanting to become Muslims or Palestinians without any idea that they would be skinned alive, sliced to pieces, drowned, burned alive, or, or thrown off of buildings, or worse, <laughs> for their lifestyle choices. And recently, just a few weeks ago, someone, some TikToker, found a letter from 2002 somewhere in the archives of TheGuardian.com. This was a letter to America that was written by Osama bin Laden, laying out the justification for the terrorist attack on American soil on 9-11-2001. It was supposed to reveal the evils of America and capitalism and how Islam is the only true way, etc., etc. Now, I, along with likely most Americans, didn't even know that this thing existed. And for those that knew of it at the time, I would wager that nearly all of them had forgotten about it. But it popped up again and went viral on TikTok with mostly the younger millennials and Gen Zers TikToking their thoughts about this letter. And it's not good. They're fascinated by it. They understand it. They agree with it. They agree with bin Laden and the reasons behind his beliefs. Now, for older millennials, Gen Xers and older, we remember the attacks of 9-11. We know the absolute evil behind the cowardly attacks. We remember where we were and the fear, the panic in some cases, the confusion in all cases. I was less than a year out of college working at my first career job. There were three of us in a small office that had a handful of cubicles. We're above the cafeteria. Someone came up and told us that a plane had hit one of the World Trade Center buildings. Now, we were probably more curious than we were worried as it just sounded like you know, an accident. And truth be told, I had no idea what the World Trade Center was at the time. 
Now, to satiate our curiosity, we went down to the cafeteria that had a few TVs on the wall that would cycle through announcements, then flip to a cable news channel for a bit. When we got down there, there were a handful of people that were watching the TVs, which had been permanently set to the news at that point. And as soon as we saw it, we knew it was bad. Then the second plane. We just sat there shocked. We, we watched, now knowing it was a coordinated attack. For a few hours, we watched, and then we finally went back to our offices did our best to continue our day as we wondered what was going to happen next. After that, we had runs on gas stations, air traffic was grounded, and every channel that could carry news was wall-to-wall -wall coverage. Then the military action by the United States, the chants of USA were everywhere, the American people came together as one, the slogan of never forget was shouted by everyone, the American spirit flared big and bright, and for a time, we were Americans, not left or right, not white or black, we were Americans. Now every 9-11 we commemorate the day that we were attacked by these animals. A, a smaller and smaller group of people chant USA, as that's generally considered racist now, I guess. We say we'll never forget, but we have. We don't teach about it or talk about it in most schools anymore because we want to be very careful about, you know, fomenting Muslim hate. And we don't talk about it as families because 9-11 is just a day in September at this point. As a result, unless you remember that day and the days that followed, you have very little or no idea as to why 9-11 is a big deal. And this is where we find our TikTokers. They have no idea who bin Laden was, what 9-11 is, what the beliefs of Islam are, what terrorists are, or really much of anything, to be honest. And with their vapes hanging out of their mouths, LED strip lights flickering in the background, ring light reflecting in their eyes as they do some sort of dance for their followers that resembles some sort of a seizure that at one time would have resulted in a wallet stuffed into your mouth, they're now telling us how this letter has changed their lives, how it's changed their entire perspective on everything. They have had a revelation, a revelation born out of ignorance, resulting in incorrect conclusions that leads to dangerous beliefs and actions. Now, I don't have a tickety-talk account, I'm way too old for that, and I openly refuse to get one. But I do know that some of my listeners at least have TikTok accounts, and have no doubt come across some of these computer chair keyboard geniuses spouting their ignorance despite the attempts by our Chinese TikTok overlords allegedly trying to pull down any video or channel that's promoting this letter. <laughs> I'm sure they're probably working overtime on that. Now, despite all that, or because of all that, I want to take this podcast and walk through this letter. This is going to be long. I wanted to hit it at one time rather than split it into multiple weeks. You may just really find yourself into it and want to listen the whole way in one go. You may want to split this up over a few different periods of time. It's a lot. I fully admit that. But if you're a listener to this podcast, well, you're either family and you feel obligated just in case I ask you, hey, what'd you think of this? And you don't want to be caught off guard. Or you're someone that has the ability to listen to long-form content already. You're unique in this current age, let me tell you that. So let's get moving. I have two basic objectives in doing this. One, so you can be more informed, and two, so I can be more informed. That's it. Now, throughout this letter, there will undoubtedly be statements that are blatantly false, statements that sound very true and are partially true, and then statements that are verifiably true. Our job as modern-day Bereans is to determine how to understand what was said, to separate facts, lies, and spin, and to try to wrap our heads around why this is resonating with a small percentage of people in America today. Now, first, just a small background on bin Laden. I don't want to give much time, to be honest, but you need to understand that he was not just some uneducated caveman. 
Bin Laden was born in 1957 in Saudi Arabia. His father was a billionaire construction magnate with close ties to the Saudi royal family. Bin Laden later inherited between 25 and 30 million dollars of the approximately 5 billion that the family made in construction. He was raised as a Sunni Muslim, attended elite primary school, and studied economics and business administration at the King Abdulaziz University. He possibly received a civil engineering degree and a public administration degree as well. Not positive. He also attended Oxford, although he didn't finish his degree there. He was supposedly a hard worker, interested in poetry, reading, soccer, and horses, but was especially interested in the Muslim faith, including interpreting the Quran. He had a total of five to six wives and 20 to 26 children. He was about six foot four, 160 pounds. Reminds me a lot of myself, <clears throat> which is pretty darn thin, actually. And he was described as soft-spoken and mild-mannered. And that's all fine. He sounds like a perfectly fine individual. The problem comes in with his religious and political beliefs. He believed that the United States was the great Satan, or is the great... He used to believe, probably still does, that the United States is the great Satan, responsible for the harming and deaths of Muslims in the Middle East. He was the leader of Al-Qaeda and wanted to see a great Muslim caliphate take over the world. Of course, he also hated the Jews and wanted them wiped out, but that kind of goes without saying. He became the military commander of the Al-Qaeda military or terrorist forces or whatever and oversaw a number of wars and conflicts prior to the 9-11 attacks, and on and on we go. Bottom line, for as nice of a man as he might have been to some, for as smart and rich as he was, he was an evil, brutal, racist Muslim terrorist. Now, in his defense, despite what the peaceful Muslims may claim, he was following the Koran pretty accurately, from my understanding at least. The Quran, a Quran, like all the alleged holy texts, except, of course, the only one true holy text, you know, the Bible, though it has a number of contradictions. The correct reading of the text is that if a contradiction exists, the latest writing takes precedence. The mostly peaceful parts of the Quran are toward the front. The maniacal, bloodthirsty, demonic parts are toward the back. What that means is that bin Laden was following their text correctly, and it means that the peaceful Muslims well, they'll be slaughtered right next to the Jew, the Gentile, the homosexual, the transgender, and pretty much anyone that doesn't worship Allah and follow Islam. Bin Laden was a religious fundamentalist, an extremist, a radical, in a demonic, evil religion. So, with all that, let's get into the letter. It's about 3,800 words long, which is about half to two-thirds of the number of words of one of my typical segments. So it's a fairly substantial letter, and it's written in mostly an outline format, which will follow. The length and the format is why most commentators on these TikTokers say they clearly could not have read the entire thing. Most of them can't focus half as long as what's needed to read this. Now, as for our dive into this letter, I'm going to read it all although I'm not going to give explanations for every single point. I'm going to assume that you and I know certain things in general and that we can use the context clues for others to basically understand what's being said. I will be breaking in at multiple points, however, in order to give some additional information, or my opinion, or biblical facts, or whatever. I'm also going to put a music track underneath the reading of the text of the letter that'll sound like this, to help you distinguish between what I'm saying personally and what the letter is saying. To give credit where credit is due, as much as it pains me to my very core to do so, this was a suggestion from my dad for situations such as this. So without further whatever, here we go. November 24, 2002. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. Quote, permission to fight against disbelievers is given to those believers who are fought against because they have been wronged and surely Allah is able to give them 
believers victory. Quran 2239. Quote, those who believe fight in the cause of Allah, and those who disbelieve fight in the cause of Taghut. Anything worshipped other than Allah, for example Satan, so fight you against the friends of Satan. Ever feeble is indeed the plot of Satan. Quran 476. Now, some American writers have published articles under the title, On What Basis Are We Fighting? These articles have generated a number of responses, some of which adhered to the truth and were based on Islamic law, and others which have not. Here, we wanted to outline the truth as an explanation and warning, hoping for Allah's reward, seeking success and support from Him. While seeking Allah's help, we form our reply based on two questions directed at the Americans. Question one, why are we fighting and opposing you? Question two, what are we calling you to and what do we want from you? I feel like that's three questions. It sounds like Monty Python in the Holy Grail when King Arthur is explaining the Bridge of Death. There it is! The Bridge of Death! Oh, great. Look! There's the old man from scene 24. What is he doing here? He is the keeper of the Bridge of Death. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. He who answers the five questions, three questions, three questions, may cross in safety. But what if you get a question wrong? Then you are cast into the gorge of eternal peril. Oh, wacko. On a more serious note, Notice that he's already equated only that which is spoken adhering to Islamic law as being truth. I claim that the Bible is the only source of truth. He would necessarily disagree with that. That said, when it comes to human devices, such as the answer to the question, why are we fighting, we can have truthful answers that lie outside of the scriptures, but bin Laden discounts those. Everything either aligns or it's false. We'll understand that worldview better shortly. As for the first question, why are we fighting and opposing you? The answer is very simple. One, because you attacked us and continue to attack us. A, you attacked us in Palestine. Roman numeral one, Palestine, which has sunk under military occupation for more than 80 years. The British handed over Palestine with your help and your support to the Jews who have occupied it for more than 50 years. Years overflowing with oppression, tyranny, crimes, killing, expulsion, destruction, and devastation. The creation and continuation of Israel is one of the greatest crimes, and you are the leaders of its criminals. And of course, there is no need to explain and prove the degree of American support for Israel. The creation of Israel is a crime which must be erased each and every person whose hands have become polluted in the contribution towards this crime must pay its price and pay for it heavily now keep in mind palestine has never been an actual nation or location it's a concept and that's all this doesn't seem to matter to those who hate israel but it is an important point as the land that muslims and their sympathizers consider to be palestine that simply isn't Although some try to claim that Palestine was the original landmass that is today known as Israel, the fact of the matter is that it was never officially Palestine, and even more originally, it was known as Judah or Judea. What does that sound curiously similar to, I wonder? Huh. Mystery. Which is a portion of the promised land, you know, land promised to Abraham and his descendants through Isaac, not through Ishmael. We'll get to that later. Gaza and the West Bank are Israel, and they're just portions that Israel, for some reason, has allowed these so-called Palestinians to live in and basically govern and, you know, shoot rockets from into the rest of Israel. So we can see that right away, if you're American, you're guilty. If you're Jewish, you're guilty. This is all based on a lie, of course. Make no mistake, if Israel wanted these Palestinians, Hamas, Muslims out of there, uh, they would have been out long ago. If Israel wanted to wipe them out, they would have done so. 
the oppression, tyranny, crimes, killing, expulsion, destruction, and devastation is all on the side of the Muslim extremists, and it always has been. Roman numeral two. It brings us both laughter and tears to see that you have not yet tired of repeating your fabricated lies that the Jews have a historical right to Palestine, as it was promised to them in the Torah. Anyone who disputes with them on this alleged fact is accused of anti-Semitism. This is one of the most fallacious, widely circulated fabrications in history. The people of Palestine are pure Arabs and original Semites. It is the Muslims who are the inheritors of Moses, peace be upon him, and the inheritors of the real Torah that has not been changed. Muslims believe in all of the prophets, including Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon them all. If the followers of Moses have been promised a right to Palestine in the Torah, then the Muslims are the most worthy nation of this. When the Muslims conquered Palestine and drove out the Romans, Palestine and Jerusalem returned to Islam, the religion of all the prophets, peace be upon them. Therefore, the call to a historical right to Palestine cannot be raised against the Islamic Ummah that believes in all the prophets of Allah, peace and blessings be upon them, and we make no distinction between them. Roman numeral three, the blood pouring out of Palestine must be equally revenged. You must know that the Palestinians do not cry alone. Their women are not widowed alone. Their sons are not orphaned alone. First, let's clear up something vitally important. Jesus was not just another prophet. Jesus was, is, and will always be our great prophet, priest, and king. The Muslims don't believe this. They will one day, but not today. Second, the followers of Moses were promised the right to, to use his words, Palestine in the Torah, but the followers of Moses were not Muslims. The Muslims came out of Ishmael, which they acknowledge. The Hebrews came from Isaac. The land was promised to Isaac from his father Abraham, and the followers of Moses and Moses himself were direct descendants of Isaac. The Bible has a very clear genealogy that shows that. Third, it is true that the Muslim Caliphate conquered what they call the Levant, which is Israel and some surrounding land, taking it from the Roman Empire around 640 AD. But if you recall, the Jews had been displaced from their land long before that. For instance, the last Jewish temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Now, using my powers of math, that appears to be earlier than 640 AD. The Jews had a constant fluctuation between worshiping God and rejecting God, and as a result, the full promise of the covenant with Abraham has never been realized. That doesn't change who was promised the land and who owned the land long before the Muslims. The woke Americans believe everyone to be colonizers, right? I mean, everyone that they don't like, at least. So white Europeans are colonizers of the United States, stealing it from the Indians, but they never speak about how warring tribes would conquer the land of other tribes and colonize that. Likewise, they call the Israelites colonizers for living in Israel, but they stop at the Muslims rather than going back just a bit further, which would make them admit that the Muslims were colonizers of the Israeli land to begin with. It's really just a matter of what fits the narrative that's being pushed. That's where the facts stop. Now, the trump card in Israel's hand is the fact that God promised it to Abraham. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael, who he had with Hagar, Sarah's servant woman, when they both decided to, you know, help God out since God probably didn't know what he was doing. But the Bible is very clear that Ishmael, who was the father of the Muslim people, was not the promised son. He would be made a great nation as well because of Abraham, which he was. But Isaac was the promised seed, and through Isaac, the promise would be realized. Isaac, who had Jacob, who God later renamed Israel, who had 12 sons, one of whom was named Judah. Seeing a pattern here? The name Palestine actually originates somewhere around 500 BC from a Greek historian named Herodotus using the term Palestine, referring to a strip of land inhabited by the Philistines. Now, the name died out for some time, but then the Romans reapplied the name in 135 AD when they squelched a, wait for it, 
a Judean uprising in the land of Israel. This was an attempt by the Romans to erase the Jewish people, or at least their association with their land. Palestine has never been an official land, and the land bin Laden and the rest are calling Palestine was, and again is, Israel, the land promised to Abraham's descendants through Isaac. As for being the original Semites or whatever, yes, sort of. Semites only really refer to people speaking a Semitic language, so Jews, Arabs, some Ethiopians, etc., they're all technically original Semites. Letter B. You attacked us in Somalia. You supported the Russian atrocities against us in Chechnya, the Indian oppression against us in Kashmir, and the Jewish aggression against us in Lebanon. C. Under your supervision, consent, and orders, the governments of our countries, which act as your agents, attack us on a daily basis. Roman numeral one. These governments prevent our people from establishing the Islamic Sharia using violence and lies to do so. Roman numeral two. These governments give us a taste of humiliation and place us in a large prison of fear and subdual. Roman numeral three. These governments steal our Ummah's wealth and sell them to you at a paltry price. Roman numeral four. These governments have surrendered to the Jews and handed them most of Palestine, acknowledging the existence of their state over the dismembered limbs of their own people. And Roman numeral five. The removal of these governments is an obligation upon us and a necessary step to free the Ummah to make the Sharia the supreme law and to regain Palestine. And our fight against these governments is not separate from our fight against you. Okay, first, the Ummah is an Arabic word for community. It basically means the collective community of the Islamic people. Second, Sharia is the theocratic system of Islamic law. Sharia law, per the Quran, is a convert or die type of law. And yeah, I mean, you can pay the jizya, which is an annual tax per person, to the Islamic state to stop them from killing you if you choose not to convert. Eh, but it's still really a convert or die in the end. This is a brutal law that, when followed correctly, removes rights from women. In fact, it, like all non-Christian religions, removes personhood from women and children. This is why women aren't allowed to drive or own property or work. They can be used as objects, married and divorced by the man simply stating his intention at the moment. This is why women are covered completely head to toe, why homosexuals and all those of any sexual perversion are murdered in very brutal, horrific ways, why women have hands, breasts, and noses cut off as punishment. This is where full devotion to Allah, including istishad, which is heroic martyrdom, I guarantee I said that wrong, which will get you all sorts of virgins in the afterlife, because remember, Women are objects to be used for the man's pleasure. So yeah, we Americans have generally been on the side of not Sharia law, I think for good reason. The TikTokers and those that are enamored with bin Laden's letter, I feel safe saying, have no idea about Sharia law. In fact, there was a video that went viral of a man going to these Palestinian protests in the U.S. and asked if they'd sign a document for a free Palestine or something like that. The protesters were all about doing that. Then he said he had to read them the disclaimer first, and as he rattled off all of the atrocities and barbarism, the intolerance and discrimination that Muslims and Islam absolutely promote, well, nobody agreed to sign, because now they had some information, whereas before they had none. The third, he's right that we have worked with and supplied money and arms and training to all sorts of countries in the Middle East to thwart what we've termed extremist Islam. In fact, it's fairly well documented that America was instrumental in supporting bin Laden and the Saudis to fight against the Soviets or uh, something like that. And this is the problem with the United States getting involved everywhere. 
We're not the police of the world. But by acting like we are, we use the the enemy of my enemy is my friend principle. And time and time again, our new friend turns into our new enemy using our money, our equipment, and our training. So we need to go find a new enemy of our newest enemy to be our newest friend. This is a war we can't win as we're pretty much hated by everyone in the Middle East when you come right down to it. We have nearly all enemies, almost no friends, and we're just hoping we can use their hatred for each other to our advantage for just a little while longer. Letter D. You steal our wealth and oil at paltry prices because of your international influence and military threats. This theft is indeed the biggest theft ever witnessed by mankind in the history of the world. Letter E. Your forces occupy our countries. You spread your military bases throughout them. You corrupt our lands and you besiege our sanctities to protect the security of the Jews and to ensure the continuity of your pillage of our treasures. Letter F. You have starved the Muslims of Iraq, where children die every day. It is a wonder that more than 1.5 million Iraqi children have died as a result of your sanctions, and you did not show concern. Yet, when 3,000 of your people died, the entire world rises and has not yet sat down. Letter G. You have supported the Jews and their idea that Jerusalem is their eternal capital and agreed to move your embassy there. With your help and under your protection, the Israelis are planning to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Under the protection of your weapons, Sharon entered the Al-Aqsa Mosque to pollute it as a preparation to capture and destroy it. Well, I mean, there's a lot of credence behind other countries being angry that we seem to do a lot of fighting in oil-rich lands. And to be honest, regardless of oil over there, we have more than enough oil under our own soil to supply our needs for centuries to come, potentially indefinitely. We could use our oil, be independent, and live more inexpensively if we just drill, baby, drill. I'm not sure if we fight or have fought wars specifically for oil or wealth. I wouldn't be shocked if there were some secret documents that were produced saying that we did, though. Right. As for this claim of theft, well, no, I mean, we buy oil. We buy it at the market price like everyone else. Regarding 1.5 million children starved to death, well, I highly doubt that. As the extremist Muslims, or we can call them Islamicists, well, they're known liars. Regardless, even if it is true, the reality is that they have sanctions placed on them for a reason. Those reasons lie within the governance of that country. Simple compliance to demands, and truth be told, our demands are really never that extreme, well, it would result in sanctions being lifted. Additionally, we're the first country in all of history, and we've done this over and over again, to go to war with a nation, then pull back before complete victory, then reverse course and rebuild, refund, and supply aid to the nation we were just at war with. If children are starving, it's not because of the United States. It's due to decisions made by the leadership of their country, as well as greed and theft of aid from the United States by those in power, rather than passing the aid along to their people. That's not on us. As for the 3,000 people they murdered on 9-11, well, I mean, that was a very cowardly act using civilian commercial airliners against civilian targets. This is not bravery and strength. This is pure cowardice and weakness. This is one of the most dishonorable things any nation could do. But the Quran doesn't concern itself with the distinction between civilian and military, and it absolutely has no qualms about doing dishonorable, despicable acts to try to impose their brutal theocratic dictatorship on the world. That's their goal. Number two, these tragedies and calamities are only a few examples of your oppression and aggression against us. It is commanded by our religion and intellect that the oppressed have a right to return the aggression. Do not await anything from us but jihad, resistance, and revenge. Is it in any way rational to expect that after America has attacked us for more than half a century, that we will then leave her to live in security and peace? Number three, 
you may then dispute that all the above does not justify aggression against civilians for crimes they did not commit and offenses in which they did not partake. Letter A. This argument contradicts your continuous repetition that America is the land of freedom and its leaders in the world. Therefore, the American people are the ones who choose their government by way of their own free will, a choice which stems from their agreement to its policies. Thus, the American people have chosen, consented to, and affirmed their support for the Israeli oppression of the Palestinians, the occupation and usurpation of their land, and its continuous killing, torture, punishment, and expulsion of the Palestinians. The American people have the ability and choice to refuse the policies of their government and even to change it if they want. Okay, yeah, well, this is true that we elect our government. Not a perfect system, but it's the longest-running constitution in history, so it must not be all bad. And this is begging the question, with the assumption that Sharia law is the only true form of government. America is a land of the free because we allow dissent, we allow elections, we allow governments that we strongly oppose to stay in power until their time is up. Conversely, what bin Laden wanted is for us to vote in those leaders that would then remove our rights and our freedoms and our constitution and force us to live under the brutality of Sharia. Keep in mind, only Sharia is true. Anything that doesn't align with Islamic law is dismissed as evil. That said, elections still don't justify the killing of civilians, especially knowing that it does nothing to win anything, it just kills some civilians. Killing 3,000 mostly civilians in the United States is a tragedy, but it's only going to cause us to seek justice or revenge. It's a cowardly terrorist act, not a military action, not a battle strategy, just an alleged show of faux strength by a weak people. What I've just said here applies throughout the next number of points. Please keep it in mind. Letter B. The American people are the ones who pay the taxes which fund the planes that bomb us in Afghanistan, the tanks that strike and destroy our homes in Palestine, the armies which occupy our lands in the Arabian Gulf, and the fleets which ensure the blockade of Iraq. These tax dollars are given to Israel for it to continue to attack us and penetrate our lands, so the American people are the ones who fund the attacks against us, and they are the ones who oversee the expenditure of these monies in the way they wish, through their elected candidates. Letter C. Also, the American army is part of the American people. It is these very same people who are shamelessly helping the Jews fight against us. Letter D. The American people are the ones who employ both their men and their women in the American forces which attack us. Letter E. This is why the American people cannot be innocent of all the crimes committed by the Americans and Jews against us. Letter F. Allah, the Almighty, legislated the permission and the option to take revenge. Thus, if we are attacked, then we have the right to attack back. Whoever has destroyed our villages and towns, then we have the right to destroy their villages and towns. Whoever has stolen our wealth, then we have the right to destroy their economy. And whoever has killed our civilians, then we have the right to kill theirs. The American government and press still refuses to answer the question, why did they attack us in New York and Washington? If Sharon is a man of peace in the eyes of Bush, then we are also men of peace. America does not understand the language of manners and principles, so we are addressing it using the language it understands. This, of course, is at complete odds with the Bible. In Exodus 21, we read, quote, And if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband will set for him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, 
wound for wound. This appears to be setting up a punishment that fits the crime scenario, right? Specifically for the baby and the mother, although it's generally broadened out to all people. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to no longer enact the eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth punishment or vengeance, but to love them to turn the other cheek. Back in Deuteronomy, we read that from a national perspective, God says that vengeance is his and his alone. Now, this is reiterated in Romans 12, where Paul says, quote, never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men, never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I've said many times that the Bible is so different. It's so illogical in so many ways that it's the only possible true belief system. Every other system is clearly man-made. The Quran is nothing but a book written by man at best, likely dictated by Satan. The concept of turn the other cheek is not humanly rational. The idea of allowing an unseen being to take care of vengeance for injustice in his timing does not logically compute for humans. Islam, with its rewards of power, wealth, sex, and other worldly pleasures, and its mandates to enact vengeance, to use innocent people, to lie, including denying their own faith, just so they can get closer to their target, all of that is clearly man-made, and it's no different than any other man-made religion. Moving on to question two. Hey, we're getting there. Question two. As for the second question that we want to answer, what are we calling you to, and what do we want from you? One, the first thing that we are calling you to is Islam. Letter A. The religion of the unification of God, of freedom from associating partners with Him, and rejection of this, of complete love of Him, the exalted, of complete submission to His laws, and of the discarding of all the opinions, orders, theories, and religions which contradict with the religion He sent down to His prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Islam is the religion of all the prophets and makes no distinction between them, peace be upon them all. It is to this religion that we call you, the seal of all the previous religions. It is the religion of unification of God, sincerity, the best of manners, righteousness, mercy, honor, purity, and piety. It is the religion of showing kindness to others, establishing justice between them, granting them their rights, and defending the oppressed and the persecuted. It is the religion of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil with the hand, tongue, and heart. It is the religion of jihad and the way of Allah, so that Allah's word and religion reign supreme. And it is the religion of unity and agreement on the obedience to Allah and total equality between all people without regarding their color, sex, or language. Letter B. It is the religion whose book, the Quran, will remain preserved and unchanged after the other divine books and messages have been changed. The Quran is the miracle until the day of judgment. Allah has challenged anyone to bring a book like the Quran or even ten verses like it. Okay, rah, 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 ready to convert yet? <sighs> so the Quran is full of a disjointed narrative. It's maniacal rantings, especially as you get farther in. And worse, it's contradiction upon contradiction. Full disclosure, I've never read it. Not sure that I'll ever really care to read it all, but from what I know of it, from the little bit I've read of it, it's basically two books, as I stated before. It's a book of mostly love, peace, and unity, followed by a book of mostly evil, rage-fueled, convert-or-die war. A religious text with contradictions is no holy text. Either that or you have a stupid God that can't get his story straight. I'll hold the Bible against the Quran any day of the week, and I'll win. Second, the rant he went on about Islam being the religion of freedom and unity and righteousness and etc. Well, that's all depending on how you define your terms. It can be all those things if you're in complete agreement with the Quran and Sharia law, and if you follow those exactly. 
step out of line and that that's not going to go well for you. It's better for men than it is women. It's better for boys than it is women. It's better for men than it is children. It's better for the leadership than it is the commoner. And the hierarchy goes on. There's no freedom in true Islam. There's only freedom to follow Islam exactly or die. What really gets me is that every single TikToker that is so stoked about this letter, that is so impressed with Islam, that is siding with these so-called Palestinians, they'd all be killed or brutally converted almost instantly. The shocked look on their faces when the realization finally dawns on them that what they wanted so badly was what they had the entire time, well, that would be priceless and also horrifying. Before we convert to this wonderful religion, we should really carefully define bin Laden's terms, really understand what is meant by these words. In the words of Inigo Montoya, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Number two, the second thing we call you to is to stop your oppression, lies, immorality, and debauchery that has spread among you. Letter A, we call you to be a people of manners, principles, honor, and purity, to reject the immoral acts of fornication, homosexuality, intoxicants, gamblings, and trading with interest. We call you to all of this that you may be freed from that which you have become caught up in, that you may be freed from the deceptive lies that you are a great nation, that your leaders spread amongst you to conceal from you the despicable state to which you have reached. Like I said at the outset, some of what he says is true. This is true. As a country, as a civilization, we have walked down and continue to walk down some very dark paths. Unfortunately, in a sin-cursed world, this is what freedom looks like. This is bondage to sin. It is, in fact, slavery. But from a human viewpoint, this is the price of freedom. Freedom of speech is allowing people to say things we absolutely abhor. Freedom of religion is allowing people to believe anything they want to believe, and so it goes. There are rules, there are limits, but true freedom has broad limits to do as you choose as long as you're not hurting others in some way. And even that has a broad and ill-defined boundary. As I've said many, many times before, we do not want to live as a theocracy, at least until Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom. We'll just screw it up. I mean, we have every single time in the past. There's no reason to think that we'll do it differently now. And this is what we see with Sharia. It's a theocracy based on a false religion administered by sinful man. It's nothing but another abhorrent system that destroys the masses for the pleasure and power of the few. More on this in a little bit. Letter B. It is saddening to tell you that you are the worst civilization witnessed by the history of mankind. Roman number one. You are the nation who, rather than ruling by the Sharia of Allah in its constitution and laws, choose to invent your own laws as you will and desire. You separate religion from your policies, contradicting the pure nature which affirms absolute authority to the Lord and your Creator. You flee from the embarrassing question posed to you, how is it possible for Allah the Almighty to create his creation, grant them power over all the creatures in the land, grant them all the amenities of life, and then deny them that which they are most in need of, knowledge of the laws which govern their lives? Roman numeral two, you are the nation that permits usury, which has been forbidden by all the religions, yet you build your economy and investments on usury. As a result of this, in all its different forms and guises, the Jews have taken control of your economy, through which you have then taken control of your media, and now control all aspects of your life, making you their servants and achieving their aims at your expense. Precisely what Benjamin Franklin warned you against. Let's pause here for a minute. No need to go over the theocracy thing again for Roman numeral one, right? I mean, his point was that the Quran, Sharia law, already has all that you need to govern. Why make other laws? I mean, it's literally right there. 
Let's talk about usury, the Jews, and Ben Franklin, shall we? So usury is simply the practice of lending money and charging interest. Generally, the term is used for when extremely high interest rates are charged. So again, he's right. Usury is a terrible practice, and the United States has created a system that enables and in some cases promotes usury. It would be nice if that would go away. But again, this is an aspect of freedom, more or less. Legislating morality is a very fine line to walk. As much as I'd love to see a number of things made illegal, we aren't capable of doing that correctly. As for the Jews controlling everything, ah, I mean, come on, that's an old overused trope. It's just a brain-dead anti-Semitic throwaway line. Now, Benjamin Franklin warning us against the Jews. I had never heard of that one before, so I looked it up. It's not true. This has been termed the Franklin Prophecy and was allegedly a speech of some sorts that Franklin gave over dinner during the convention of the Continental Congress. The text is fun. It's relatively short. I was going to summarize it, but you really need to hear it. Quote, There's a great danger for the United States of America. This great danger is the Jew. Gentlemen, in every land the Jews have settled, they have depressed the moral level and lowered the degree of commercial honesty. They have remained apart and unassimilated. Oppressed, they attempt to strangle the nation financially, as in the case of Portugal and Spain. For more than 1,700 years, they have lamented their sorrowful fate, namely that they have been driven out of their motherland. But gentlemen, if the civilized world today should give them back Palestine and their property, they would immediately find pressing reason for not returning there. Why? Because they are vampires, and vampires cannot live on other vampires. They cannot live among themselves. They must live among Christians and others who do not belong to their race. If they are not expelled from the United States by the Constitution within less than 100 years, they will stream into this country in such numbers that they will rule and destroy us and change our form of government for which we Americans shed our blood and sacrificed our life, property, and personal freedom." If the Jews are not excluded within 200 years, our children will be working in the field to feed Jews while they remain in the counting houses, gleefully rubbing their hands. I warn you, gentlemen, if you do not exclude the Jews forever, your children and your children's children will curse you in their graves. Their ideas are not those of Americans, even when they lived among us for ten generations." The leopard cannot change his spots. The Jews are a danger to this land. If they are allowed to enter, they will imperil our institutions. They should be excluded by the Constitution. End of quote. I mean, this this doesn't even sound like Benjamin Franklin. I mean, the, the claim is that this is a Franklin speech. It's never been confirmed. In fact, Franklin contributed to the building of the first permanent synagogue in Philadelphia. Additionally, the timeline of the civilized world in Palestine really doesn't make any sense, nor does the idea of race, which really was a popularized term in the 1800s with Darwin. In fact, the term vampire would have only been around for maybe 40 years at this point. Franklin, from everything I know, was a deist. He wasn't a Christian, although he generally believed in a higher power, and he had a great respect for Christianity and Judaism from everything that we know. So bin Laden was either lying about this or he was snookered by the story because it's a story he wanted to believe. The sad part is, how many of these TikTokers, if they read this far, took the five minutes to look that up and verify that claim? I'd say numbers probably likely between zero and none. Roman numeral three, you are a nation that permits the production, trading, and usage of intoxicants. You also permit drugs and only forbid the trade of them, even though your nation is the largest consumer of them. 
Roman numeral four, you are a nation that permits acts of immorality, and you consider them to be pillars of personal freedom. You have continued to sink down this abyss from level to level until incest has spread amongst you, in the face of which neither your sense of honor nor your laws object. Who can forget your President Clinton's immoral acts committed in the official Oval Office? After that, you did not even bring him to account other than that he made a mistake. After which, everything passed with no punishment. Is there a worst kind of event for which your name will go down in history and remembered by nations? Hey, I, I'm with him on this one. We are an immoral country in many ways. I mean, yes, this is the dark side of freedom in a sin-cursed world. And yes, Bill Clinton should have been removed from office for the scandal and really more for lying under oath about the scandal. I have to chuckle, though. Can you even imagine if bin Laden was alive today with Biden in the White House, kids being trans? I mean, the entire trans movement. I got to believe that he would just be standing in the mouth of his cave, jaw slapped down on his chest, eyes wide, just pointing. No sounds, just pointing. Roman numeral five, you are a nation that permits gambling in all its forms. The companies practice this as well, resulting in the investments becoming active and the criminals becoming rich. Roman numeral six, you are a nation that exploits women like consumer products or advertising tools calling upon customers to purchase them. You use women to serve passengers, visitors, and strangers to increase your profit margins. You then rant that you support the liberation of women. Roman numeral seven, you are a nation that practices the trade of sex in all its forms, directly and indirectly. Giant corporations and establishments are established on this under the name of art, entertainment, tourism, and freedom, and the other deceptive names you attribute to it. Roman numeral eight, and because of all this, you have been described in history as a nation that spreads diseases that were unknown to man in the past. Go ahead and boast to the nations of man that you brought them AIDS as a satanic American invention. Again, I mean, he's not really wrong about any of this, but he only has one answer. Enforced morality, brutality if necessary. Convert or die, submit or die, obey or die. The Mosaic law or the Levitical law had the death penalty for certain things, but Sharia goes well beyond that. Now, he's claiming that Islam has all the answers, and I mean, sure, it does, externally. But just as the boy who was forced to sit down and be quiet defiantly looks at his parent and said that he's sitting down on the outside, but he's standing on the inside... God is not concerned with the externals. He's concerned with the condition of the heart. Islam is concerned with obedience to law or else. Christianity is concerned with a change of state, regeneration, a new birth, and a growing desire to do what is right because we love God. And although the United States is far from perfect and we have and do allow and promote much debauchery and depravity, simple fear and punishment-based compliance is useless. If it worked, we wouldn't have so many people in prison. Bin Laden, like so many others, is quick to point out the problems. And to be honest, he, like so many others, is generally accurate in what he's saying and laying out real issues that plague our nation and society. It's not hard to see the problems. We all have God's law written on our hearts. But he, like so many others, arrives at a solution that's neither a correct solution, nor a feasible solution, nor a solution at all. I mean, Islam may get the results they want, but as we've seen in Islamic countries, that only lasts as long as the brutal theocratic dictatorship is in power. There's no heart change. Sharia has the same problem that everyone around the world does. It's just standing up on the inside. Roman numeral nine. You have destroyed nature with your industrial waste and gases more than any other nation in history. Despite this, you refuse to sign the Kyoto Agreement so that you can secure the profit of your greedy companies and industries. Roman numeral 10, your law is the law of the rich and wealthy people who hold sway in their political parties and fund their election campaigns with their gifts. Behind them stand the Jews who control your policies, media, and economy. 
Roman numeral 11, that which you are singled out for in the history of mankind is that you have used your force to destroy mankind more than any other nation in history, not to defend principles and values, but to hasten to secure your interests and profits. You who dropped a nuclear bomb on Japan, even though Japan was ready to negotiate an end to the war. How many acts of oppression, tyranny, and injustice have you carried out, O collars to freedom? Roman numeral 12. Let us not forget one of your major characteristics, your duality in both manners and values, your hypocrisy in manners and principles. All manners, principles, and values have two scales, one for you and one for the others. Okay, as I said, bin Laden was a smart man, a shrewd man. I have a hard time believing that he really cared about nature that much. However, it does appear that he maintained his opinion of climate change being bad, at least sort of, throughout the rest of his life. So the, the Kyoto Protocol is another pointless, powerless agreement by various industrialized countries that they would, you know, reduce gas emissions. It didn't bind anyone to do anything, and all the data shows that just like the Paris Climate Accords today, this protocol, if followed perfectly by everyone, it would have literally done nothing. Now that said, bin Laden seemed to be very interested in nations signing on. Why? Well, if I were a betting man, I'd say that he was very interested in all of us spending a massive amount of money chasing a moving target, rather than spending that money elsewhere. In another letter from bin Laden, possibly from around 2010, as the wording matches a video around the same time, he says the following, quote, Effects associated with the enormous climate changes, using such expressions without mentioning the view of Sharia concerning earthquakes and discord, seems purely Western. The secularists maintain that these are natural disasters we must confront. In other words, they are saying, we are able to stand up to Allah and confront his judgment, and they have neglected what is stated in the Quran concerning these events. Indeed, what our Ummah is experiencing of effects associated with the enormous climate changes and the great suffering the natural disasters are leaving behind that now become prevalent throughout the Muslim countries renders the traditional relief efforts insufficient. Relief work is mentioned as the only solution for these disasters, without warning that it is a plague or suffering from Allah Almighty, and the first solution is faith and correct deeds. One of the correct deeds is assisting Muslims. End quote. See, he says to the world that, you know, to the industrialized countries, that we should combat climate change. But he admits in this internal letter that he believes the cause of the climate change is Allah's judgment and that we're fools to think otherwise or that we can actually do something to combat it. But the first step is convert. And then the second step is to give aid to Muslims. See where he's going here? As for the other claims, yeah, I think most Americans agree that too much money goes into politics, and yes, we're stupid for falling for it every single time. This is an issue that can be fixed if we, the people, choose to fix it. We literally hold the power through constitutional elections to fix the problems we're facing in our constitutional elections. And no, the Jews don't control everything. Regarding our alleged destruction of mankind, yes, we dropped the bomb on Japan. No, they weren't going to negotiate or surrender. Simply not the war strategy they train on. We train our military on the concept of chess. You fight until checkmate. They train on the game go. You fight until the last man. The bomb, as horrible as it was, is universally agreed as the only correct move available that resulted in an untold number of lives saved by the ending of the war. What bin Laden is referring to when he says that they were ready to surrender was a small group of officials acting secretly as, quote, peace feelers, who wanted to have the Soviet Union, who was neutral at that time, negotiate a surrender. But this was without the emperor knowing it. This was without the majority of the war council knowing it, which was made up of mostly war hawks, people who were not interested in the least in surrendering. 
Additionally, these peace feelers were not talking about unconditional surrender. They wanted the emperor left in place. They wanted the basic governance structure left intact. And they possibly wanted to keep some of the conquered territory. This surrender was many, many months, likely years away from approaching the actual negotiating table. As I said, bin Laden wasn't a stupid man, but from the many claims he's made so far, he's either a liar or he's a crazy conspiracy theorist. Likely both. As for hypocrisy, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And hypocrisy exists in every country, in every people group, in every society, in every religion, in every single person in the entire world. Islam is no different. Al-Qaeda is no different. Iraq, Iran, Gaza, Hamas, the Palestinians, bin Laden himself are no different. It's everywhere because man is sinful. He's presenting the idea that those who are ruled by Sharia aren't hypocritical. And maybe on the outside, they don't appear to be. But that means nothing. And he knew that. He continues. His outline goes back to the letter A rather than continuing with C. I'm not sure why, but we'll use his numbering and lettering. Letter A. The freedom and democracy that you call to is for yourselves and for white race only. As for the rest of the world, you impose upon them your monstrous, destructive policies and governments which you call the American Friends, yet you prevent them from establishing democracies. When the Islamic Party in Algeria wanted to practice democracy and they won the election, you unleashed your agents in the Algerian army onto them and to attack them with the tanks and guns, to imprison them and torture them. A new lesson from the American Book of Democracy. Letter B, your policy on prohibiting and forcibly removing weapons of mass destruction to ensure world peace. It only applies to those countries which you do not permit to possess such weapons. As for the countries you consent to, such as Israel, then they are allowed to keep and use such weapons to defend their security. Anyone else who you suspect might be manufacturing or keeping these kinds of weapons, you call them criminals and you take military action against them. Letter C, you are the last ones to respect the resolutions and policies of international law, yet you claim to want to selectively punish anyone else who does the same. Israel has for more than 50 years been pushing UN resolutions and rules against the wall with the full support of America. So look, everyone knows that the United States is the most diverse country in the history of the world when the Democrats aren't stirring up dissension between ethnic groups, which is what they do as Democrats are now and have always been the enslavers, the racists. Our nation gets along very, very well. We're also one of the only nations to actually go to war with ourselves to stop slavery. Now, I agree that we've got our fingers in too many areas around the world. That's not for us to do. We should only be involved if there is a direct threat or will be on us from some other place. That said, the mess in Algeria was back in the Clinton days. And since Algeria was a dumpster fire anyway, the fundamentalist Muslims think the extremists. Well, they grabbed a large number of seats in a democratic election. That's true. They vowed that once they took power... They would try and execute the traitors. They would outlaw alcohol. They told the women to wear the correct Islamic hijab, etc., etc. Basically, they were going to impose Sharia law with an end result of a theocracy. Democracy would have ended with that election. Now, did the U.S. get involved? I, I have no idea. Probably. Strategically, it's a bad idea for radical Muslims to control a country. So it's very possible that we were involved with the civil war that raged. That seems to be kind of what we do. Now, was that right of us? Again, I mean, who knows? Anywhere that we can push radical Muslims back into their dark caves, we should probably at least consider that to be a good move for the world. It may not be our job to get involved like that, but at the same time, seeing as we're considered the great Satan and the stated goal is to conquer America and kill or enslave Americans, how long do you wait before you act? We see this today in Israel in their war with Hamas. They waited too long. And now, of course, our clown-riddled federal administration is pushing Israel to just, you know, stand down. As of now, the Israelis have told our guys to pound sand. They're going to take care of the problem once and for all. And that's the right move for them to make. 
I don't know the right time to get involved in other countries, but we do know the pattern of the Islamicists. So if we see that pattern starting to emerge, it's probably ultimately the best move to squelch that sooner rather than later. Weapons of mass destruction. Yes, again, he's right. We, and the majority of the globe, don't want nukes in the hands of extremist Islamicists. I think we can see, again, from the brutal, cowardly attacks on Israel, as well as countless suicide bombings, etc., etc., over the years, that they're more than happy to die for their cause. We don't need their quivering finger poised above the big red button when they think they'll get their gaggle of virgins if they die as martyrs. And, of course, more anti-Israel rhetoric. I mean, yeah, we get it, blah, 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 you hate the Jews, <laughs> Jeez. Letter D. As for the war criminals which you censure and form criminal courts for, you shamelessly ask that your own are granted immunity. However, history will not forget the war crimes you committed against the Muslims and the rest of the world. Those you have killed in Japan, Afghanistan, Somalia, Lebanon, and Iraq will remain ashamed that you will never be able to escape. It will suffice to remind you of your latest war crimes in Afghanistan, in which densely populated innocent civilian villages were destroyed, bombs were dropped on mosques, causing the roof of the mosque to come crashing down on the heads of the Muslims praying inside. You are the ones who broke the agreement with the Mujahideen when they left Kunduz, bombing them in Jainji Fort and killing more than 1,000 of your prisoners through suffocation and thirst. Allah alone knows how many people have died by torture at the hands of you and your agents. Your planes remain in the Afghan skies looking for anyone remotely suspicious. Letter E. You have claimed to be the vanguards of human rights, and your Ministry of Foreign Affairs issues annual reports containing statistics of those countries that violate any human rights. However, all these things vanished when the Mujahideen hit you and then implemented the methods of the same documented governments that you used to curse. In America, you captured thousands of Muslims and Arabs, took them into custody with neither reason, court trial, nor even disclosing their names. You issued newer, harsher laws. What happens in Guantanamo is a historical embarrassment to America and its values, and it screams into your faces, you hypocrites, what is the value of your signature on any agreement or treaty? Okay, more lies coming out, obviously. Historically, these terrorist groups have been known, as they're doing today, to use mosques, schools, hospitals, etc. as military bases, with the kids, patients, or worshippers still inside doing their thing, forced to be inside to do their thing. I'm sorry, but if you're making a building a military base, it's a military target. Again, there are casualties of war, and although we all know these people grossly exaggerate numbers of deaths and injuries, etc., etc., in order to garner sympathy with the drool-on-their-chin segment of the population, those that are true numbers are unfortunately casualties of war, brought on by themselves. As for Guantanamo, totally agree, it is a public embarrassment. I mean, why in the world will we just let these prisoners, guilty of murder, sit there? They should have been executed immediately. Number three, what we call you to thirdly is to take an honest stance with yourselves, and I doubt you will do so to discover that you are a nation without principles or manners, and that the values and principles to you are something which you merely demand from others, not that which you yourself must adhere to. Number four, we also advise you to stop supporting Israel and to end your support to the Indians in Kashmir, the Russians against the Chechens, and to also cease supporting the Manila government against the Muslims in southern Philippines. Number five, we also advise you to pack your luggage and get out of our lands. We desire for your goodness, guidance, and righteousness, so do not force us to send you back as cargo in coffins. Number six, sixthly, we call upon you to end your support of the corrupt leaders in our countries. Do not interfere in our politics and method of education. Leave us alone or else expect us in New York and Washington. Number seven, 
We also call you to deal with us and interact with us on the basis of mutual interests and benefits rather than the policies of subdual theft and occupation, and not to continue your policy of supporting the Jews because this will result in more disasters for you. So basically, allow the Muslims to just take over whenever they like. Enact Sharia law, allow them to murder, rape, and enslave whomever, wherever. Oh, and get away from Israel. You know, because Israel is evil. Just leave them alone and everything will be fine until it's time for us to convert or die. And they're fine with either choice that we make. I don't know all the reasons that we've gone and fought in all corners of the world. I sadly have no doubt that not all reasoning is honorable. That said, we know very well who these extremists are. They're radicals. They're terrorists. They're violent and brutal. And they want the Jews dead. And Americans dead. The great Satan, us, and the little Satan, Israel, are their sworn enemies. And this was prophesied in the Bible a long, long time ago. If you fail to respond to all these conditions, then prepare for fight with the Islamic nation, the nation of monotheism that puts complete trust on Allah and fears none other than him, the nation which is addressed by its Quran with the words, quote, Do you fear them? Allah has more right that you should fear him if you are believers. Fight against them so that Allah will punish them by your hands and disgrace them and give you victory over them and heal the breasts of the believing people and remove the anger of their believers' hearts. Allah accepts the repentance of whom he wills. Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. Quran 9, 13-15 The nation of honor and respect, quote, But honor, power, and glory belong to Allah and to his messenger, Muhammad, peace be upon him, and to the believers. Quran 63.8 Quote, So do not become weak against your enemy, nor be sad, and you will be superior in victory if you are indeed true believers. Quran 3.139 The nation of martyrdom, the nation that desires death more than you desire life. Quote, Think not of those who are killed in any way of Allah as dead. Nay, they are alive with their Lord and they are being provided for. They rejoice in what Allah has bestowed upon them from his bounty and rejoice for the sake of those who have not yet joined them, but are left behind, not yet martyred, that on them no fear shall come, nor shall they grieve. They rejoice in a grace and a bounty from Allah and that Allah will not waste the reward of the believers. Quran 3, 169-171 the nation of victory and success that Allah has promised. Quote, it is he who has sent his messenger, Muhammad, peace be upon him, with guidance and the religion of truth, Islam, to make it victorious over all other religions, even though the polytheists hate it. Quran 61, 9. Quote, Allah has decreed that verily it is I and my messengers who shall be victorious, all-powerful and almighty. Quran 58, 21. The Islamic nation that was able to dismiss and destroy the previous evil empires like yourself, the nation that rejects your attacks, wishes to remove your evils and is prepared to fight you. You are well aware that the Islamic nation, from the very core of its soul, despises your haughtiness and arrogance. If the Americans refuse to listen to our advice and the goodness, guidance, and righteousness that we call them to, then be aware that you will lose this crusade Bush began, just like the other previous crusades in which you were humiliated by the hands of the Mujahideen, fleeing to your home in great silence and disgrace. If the Americans do not respond, then their fate will be that of the Soviets, who fled from Afghanistan to deal with their military defeat, political breakup, ideological downfall, and economic bankruptcy. This is our message to the Americans as an answer to theirs. Do they now know why we fight them, and over which form of ignorance, by the permission of Allah, we shall be victorious? So we have a slight clash of worldviews here. <clears throat> 
I'm not sure if you followed the verses from the Quran that he quoted, but understand that the Quran is organized generally by length. So the chapters with the largest number of verses come first, and they work to the chapters with the least. When you arrange it in chronological order, it's quite a different order. So he quoted from chapters 9, 63, 3, 61, and 58. There are 114 chapters in the Quran. Chapter 9 was the second to last chapter written. Chapter 63 was the 104th written. 3 was the 89th. 61 was the 109th, and 58 was the 105th. Now, I point that out to illustrate that bin Laden was following the Quran correctly, focusing at the end of the book rather than the beginning. Bin Laden and the Islamicists want one thing, for the world to fall under the rule of Sharia law. Their eschatology boiled down says that Allah will destroy the world and rescue his people once the world is brought under subjection to Islam. This will happen by the arrival of the Mahdi, a messianic figure who starts the process, and then Jesus, who comes again as a prophet of Allah to slaughter the infidels that refuse to submit to Islam. The reality is that from a human standpoint, I don't care what others believe. I mean, if you want to believe the Quran, well, I mean, okay, I think, I, well, no, I, I know that you're wrong, but it's your choice. It's no different than all other religions out there, save one. Islam, like all religions except for Christianity, is a religion of works, a religion of very humanistic emotions, rewards, punishments. Although it's written by one person, Muhammad, writing all 114 chapters or books or whatever they are over about 22 years, it's just a disjointed mess. Christianity is also a religion of works, but it's the works of Jesus. He fulfilled the law perfectly and sinlessly, and because of his sacrifice and resurrection, being fully man, fully God, salvation for us is a matter of faith and grace, both of which are also gifts from God. The Bible, God's Word, although parts of it are difficult to understand for most of us, the 40 authors that wrote the 66 books over 1,500 years have a common theme, a common thread throughout, and none of it sounds like rantings or ravings. Nothing sounds maniacal. A theocratic rule in a sin-cursed world is dangerous because of where the ruler claims to get his authority. We're seeing the current pope just recently punish or remove conservative cardinals for speaking against him. We can't do theocratic rule. It ends badly every time. Our representative republic with a capitalist economy is literally the best form of government mankind has developed thus far. The United States has done massive good in the world, freeing slaves, liberating nations, feeding the hungry, raising the prosperity of people around the world, promoting freedom. I mean, yeah, we've done a lot of evil as well. And in general, we've course corrected over time. The problem we have today is that we don't practice either of those things honestly anymore. So, yes, we've got problems. We may or may not course correct again in the future. Who knows? But even now, we are still looked at by the world as a beacon of freedom. A dimming, flickering beacon, but still a beacon that does tremendous good in the world. The TikTokers, whose minds were blown over this letter, saw words put together into sentences that they agree with, with no idea who bin Laden is, what Islam is, or the context or truth of his statements. They found themselves agreeing that rich people are bad, and climate change is bad, and white people are bad, and Jews are bad, and generally America's bad, and, and that's good enough for them. And this is why they want you and I to read it and rethink everything, just like they did. This is the danger of ignorance, even self-imposed ignorance. And this is what we see with transgender influencers that are now coming out praising the Quran. Have you ever read this? This blew my mind. Yeah, it will blow your mind, or more accurately, it'll blow your brains out. But they don't know that because they've never been told that. These influencers have been led to believe that they're loved around the world by everyone. They're told that America is evil, that capitalism and big business and money and oil and CEOs and greenhouse gases and the list is infinite is evil. They're told that Christianity is evil, and they've just gobbled it up. 
So now, they read parts of a 20-year-old letter from a man that orchestrated the brutal hijacking of domestic airplanes full of innocent men, women, and children, civilians, and flew them into buildings full of mostly civilians, killing about 3,000 of them. And that number likely pales in comparison to all the other innocent men, women, and children around the world that have been raped, tortured, or murdered. But they don't understand that because they've never been taught it or told that it was important. That's what you get when you model your public school system after a communist indoctrination center, literally. We've gone from a very heavily religious-based education system with elementary-age tests that neither you nor I could pass, to the removal of religion, and now the dumbing down of schools, and, and then now that we're just churning out little Marxists. We no longer teach what really needs to be taught, including the events of 9-11 or the terrorists behind the cowardice. We've softened the curriculum. We've neutered teachers. We've trivialized education as a whole. And now we have a few generations that believe bin Laden to be some sort of sage, Islam to be a religion of peace and acceptance and love, and America and Christianity to be evil and full of hate. And we've allowed it to be done, and we've done it to ourselves. Fortunately, we're seeing homeschooling on the rise, especially since the COVID lockdown days. So, yeah, a lot more kids at least stand some sort of a chance to actually learn relevant, pertinent, important information. But who knows when or if we can even turn the ship around. Bin Laden is dead, which is a good thing. But his beliefs and ideologies aren't. There's no way to really know how many Muslims are radicalized or extremists in the world. Estimates range widely from 150 to 800 million, possibly more, that believe what bin Laden believed. And they're teaching their children exactly the same things, teaching them to believe what they believe, their religion and their worldview. And we have a few generations now that make funny videos on social media. They don't read because they can't read. They get their news from other influencers who get their news from other influencers, verify nothing, believe what agrees with their own worldview, think that they're just universally loved, or at least they should be, as that's their right, and are ignorantly walking into a buzzsaw they won't be able to see even as it cuts them in two. So what do we do? Well, we have to get back to teaching the truth. Both Judaism, and thus Christianity and Islam, lay claim to the title of the seed of promise regarding the covenant that God cut with Abraham. Which one is right? Well, in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham that he would be great. Abram, at the time, pointed out the fact that he had no heir. God promised that Abram would have a child. In fact, his descendants would be like the stars in the sky. God had Abram bring very specific sacrificial animals, split them in half, then God put Abram to sleep as God himself walked between the animals, thus cutting the covenant. God made a covenant with Abram, telling some of what the future was going to hold, and then giving him the promised land eventually. Abram and Sarai were getting old, so Sarai told Abram to have a child with her servant, Hagar, which he shouldn't have done, but he did. This is where Ishmael pops up. Then Sarai got jealous and sent the pregnant Hagar away, so she left. But the angel of Yahweh came to her, and this may have been a Christophany, and told her that she was pregnant with a son, that she was to name him Ishmael. Then, quote, And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hands will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will dwell in the face of all his brothers. Now, Thirteen years later, God confirmed the covenant with Abram yet again. This is where Abram was changed to Abraham, Sarai was changed to Sarah, and God said that Sarah, now 90 years old, would bear a son. Abraham, a 100-year-old man of faith, laughed at this notion and said, quote, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Kind of pushing God into a corner of placing the blessing on Ishmael. But, and this is key, God said, quote, 
No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for a seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. Now, the religion of Islam holds the Torah allegedly in high regard, but they don't consider it to be applicable or accurate anymore, more of a historical morality-type tome. They believe that the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, have been adulterated, modified, edited by, uh, you guessed it, the Jews. So if they could ever find the originals, those would definitely confirm what they think is correct, not the silly conglomeration that we have today. Second, Jesus told them not to believe it. Or at least he told them that whatever supersedes it is correct. What precedes is overwritten. Quran 3.50 says, and recall that Quran 3 was the 89th book or chapter out of 114 written in the Quran. I mean, so much later. You'd think that Jesus would have led with this little nugget. It says, quote, And I have come confirming what was before me of the Torah, and to make lawful for you some of what was forbidden to you. And I have come to you with a sign from your Lord, so fear Allah and obey me. So there you go. Jesus is updating that silly Torah. God, sorry, sorry, Allah got some things wrong or changed his mind or found some typos. I'm not really sure, but Jesus is going to fix that up quick, fast, and in a hurry. Genesis 26 says, quote, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and Yahweh appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your seed... I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham, and then I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and I will give your seed all these lands, and by your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So God, at this point, reestablished the Abrahamic covenant with Isaac. No mention of Ishmael. In fact, Abraham's son, Ishmael, disappears from the Bible at Genesis 28.9, and then is mentioned again in 1 Chronicles for the sake of genealogy. In Genesis 25.17, we learn that Ishmael died at the age of 137. Genesis 28.9, we see Esau, the firstborn of Isaac, the brother of Jacob, but not the son of the promise, went and took one of Ishmael's daughters as a wife. That was kind of a stick it in the eye of his mom and dad. We do have the genealogy of Ishmael. Now hold on to your butts here. <clears throat> Gonna try this. From 1 Chronicles 1. The sons of Abraham were Isaac and Ishmael. These are their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael was Nebaioth, then Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Nephish, and Kedamar. These were the sons of Ishmael. Now, if you do a name search in the Bible, the only one that really pops up again is Kedar, or Kedar, however you pronounce it. Kedar appears to be the father of a nomadic people living in dark tents, possibly a trading partner with various other people groups. Kedar, as a people, shows up in Isaiah and Jeremiah and are the recipients of divine judgment. Isaiah 21 prophesies that they will be, uh, maybe not destroyed, but severely decimated. Isaiah 60 gives a promise to the Israelites that they will own the land and wealth of Kedar. And Jeremiah 49 has God telling the Israelites to go wipe them out. The genealogy of Abraham and Isaac through Jacob, later renamed Israel, is a slightly different one. This is a genealogy we can follow through to King David and then to Jesus. And this everlasting covenant flowed through from Abraham to Jesus and beyond, thus 
the term everlasting. So hang with me here. Here's what the Bible tells us. So from Abraham, we get Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, Hezron, Aminadab, Salmon, Obed, Jesse, and then that brings us to David. From David, we have two distinct genealogies that actually cross back over briefly at one point, but these establish the bloodlines of Mary directly to Jesus, and then the paternal line to Jesus through Joseph. So we have, starting with David, Nathan, oh boy, okay, here we go, Matathah, Mina, Malia, Eliakim, Jonam, Joseph, Judah, Simeon, Levi, Mathat, Joram, Eliezer, Joshua, Ur, Elmadam, Kasim, Adi, Melki, Neri, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, Rija, Joanan, Joda, Josek, Simeon, Metathias, Meth, Nagai, Esli, Nahum, Amos, Metathias, Joseph, Janel, Melki, Levi, Metat, Heli, Tamari. On the other side, starting with David again, we have Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah, Asaph, Jehoshaphat, Ahaziah, Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amos, Josiah, Jeconiah. Then we cross over here. We have Shealtiel and Zerubbabel again, after which they split. So we get Abiud, Eliakim, Azor, Zadok, Achim, Eliud, Eleazar, Mathan, Jacob, and then Joseph. And of course, Joseph and Mary linked to Christ. Mary, of course, being the blood mother of Jesus, Joseph being the paternal father. So all of that to say, what do we do with people who are believing this Palestinian claim to land lie? With those that that believe bin Laden to be an honest broker of truth and justice, what do we do with all of these young people that believe Islam is true? Well, we teach them the truth. Now, this podcast took a while, but the covenant promise, the genealogy part, really didn't. Now, you can talk about the plethora of manuscripts, very early manuscripts of the Old Testament. You can talk about the painstaking copying process for making a new Torah to pass along. And then you can get into the lies, the contradictions, the twisting that Islam and the Quran have to do in order to appear correct and relevant. From a human standpoint, despite all the evils that necessarily result from freedom, we can show how systems based in Judaism and Christianity are systems that have shown women, children, other belief structures, other lifestyle choices, other ethnicities, etc., the most compassion, treating them all as humans, as image bearers of God. I mean, no, we don't have a perfectly clean history, and no, we don't agree with everything, but as compared to all other faith systems, there is no other that does this then there's no other that makes mistakes and then corrects their mistakes and then continue on. Okay. If you've made it this far, made it all the way to the end, I thank you. This was admittedly a lot to take in. It was a lot to write as well. I hope, as always, that you found something useful, that you laughed, you cried, that you didn't snore too loudly. And as this is going to drop as Christmas approaches, keep in mind the children of the promise. However that's going to work, it definitely grafts in the born-again, blood-bought, Gentile sinners like me, and hopefully you. It also regrafts in those Jews that put their faith in their Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're saved, you are one of God's chosen people, and we can rejoice in that fact. We are children of the eternal covenant. Now, let's do what we can using the gifts we've all been blessed with, 
to help others come to the realization that Jesus Christ is the prophet, the priest, and the king, fully man, fully God, Savior of the world. Well, we've reached the end of another episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, review, share, and all that podcasty stuff. Contact information can be found in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to me. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.